Welcome to the Shift Daily Podcast. I'm Shane Hewitt. It's a daily bite-sized morsel of our four-hour middle-of-the-night program. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. The Shift Daily Podcast starts right now. Do you want the border closed? Do you want it open? Um, well, many Canadians are saying they don't want the border to open anytime soon. That's for sure. Our guest to have a conversation about this uh, is joining me now on the phone. His name is Len Saunders. He is an immigration lawyer based in Blaine, Washington, the other side of the border from Vancouver. Hey, Len. Hi, Shane. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you. Uh, personal question, Len, before we get started, do you ever have a nickname or do you have one now that uh, you're probably too ashamed to share, but I'm going to ask you anyway? A nickname, Colonel Sanders, yeah. from when I was in elementary school, probably. <laughs> you were Colonel Sanders? Did you have a big white mustache? <laughs> the Saunders. <laughs> oh, that, that makes sense. That was probably the, the only nickname I ever had. <laughs> are you a Lenny? Do you go like your buddies? Years. Are you like, you go golfing, you're like, good shot, Lenny? <laughs> no, most, most people just call me Len. So. All right. Fair enough. All right. We're just asking the audience, you know, what are the nicknames? So they're texting them in uh, right now as we speak. We'll get to that coming up a little bit. So the border, Len, uh, you know, as you see it from your perspective, um, are people happy? I mean, you're on the other side. Are people happy that it's closed? I know border towns are really struggling, but it seems like most Canadians are kind of like, yeah, feel free to keep it locked up right now. Well, from from where I sit right now in Blaine, most people are not happy um, because most of my neighbors here, we rely upon Canadian customers, whether it's buying gas or buying groceries or picking up mail at all the um, local mailbox uh, stores. So most people are hoping that the border will open soon, but I think everyone is kind of resigned that this is going to continue for a long time. And so everyone's making plans and just, you know, hanging tight and, hoping that their business survives until the border reopens. And most people understand what the concern is uh, by the Canadian government and Canadians with having Americans going north at this point. Well, I mean, and it must be difficult for much like the people in Point Roberts, it must be very difficult for the people in Blaine, because let's be honest, you're honorary Canadians at this point. I mean, you're pretty much like right there. So it must be hard because, I mean, so many of the, the lives would be intertwined, wouldn't they? Well, exactly. And I always tell people, I'm Canadian myself, grew up in Vancouver, and I tell people who moved to Blaine, or at least you know Bellingham or northern um, Whatcom County, most people here are Canadians or have some connection to Canada and frequently go over the border. And so a lot of people are, um, I think, still shocked that the border's closed and that they're having to make alternative plans, whether it's meeting family members at the Peace Arch Park, uh, or if Canadian family members enter the U.S., having to drive all the way to Bellingham to pick them, or to Seattle to pick them up, because there are means for Canadians to enter this country, but it's very difficult right now for Americans. I, as a dual citizen, so I'm now a naturalized American, so I can cross, but I haven't because of the quarantine. But a lot of Americans who want to cross, you know, I've got a good client uh, down in Seattle who I've known for years, he owns a beautiful house up in Whistler, which I've stayed at many times. He can't visit his house up there. Um, he's not admissible. He's not a Canadian citizen. So a lot of Americans are finding it frustrating. But I think, you know, deep down everyone understands and they're hoping that it never happens again and that it ends sooner rather than later, this border closure. 
So that all makes sense. I, I agree with you uh, 100%. But what we see in the news is we see the staggering numbers coming out of America uh, in regards to COVID and the way that America is dealing with it, regardless of the fact that you're literally, literally a pitching wedge across the border. Um, you know, it's not even like it's a driver. It's a pitching wedge across the border. Um, but still, the numbers are the numbers. Does that conversation ever come up, you know, from your side? Oh, absolutely. So a lot of my neighbors, we watch the Canadian news. We see, you know, the numbers up in Canada are in the dozens or hundreds, and then we see the news for their south. Blaine's not that bad, and Bellingham's not that bad, but you go to Seattle and San Francisco and Los Angeles, and they have numbers in the thousands. And when you, you know, when you add up all around the country, it's tens of thousands of, of uh, positive tests every day. And so you can see these massive numbers south of the border, and you can see why Canadians are concerned about having Americans travel up, whether it's for tourist purposes or business purposes, people are traveling over the border. But I think like on a typical day, you're going from, you know, five or 10,000 cars traveling back and forth through these local ports of entry to maybe a hundred or 200. Those people are essential workers. A lot of them live in this area in Blaine. They're going up to um, work at hospitals they're going to do construction jobs, so essential work. So it's not like the border is completely closed, but the numbers crossing back and forth have really slowed down to just a trickle. So how do you do business with that? Well, well I mean, like, how, how do you how do you survive it? I mean, it, it's got to be incredibly difficult. I've been very lucky. So when the border first shut down, um, almost what's it, four and a half months ago now, the first thing I thought was it's going to kill my business because my business relies upon having the border open and catering to Canadians. But what I, what I found out uh, quickly was a lot of Canadians who have American partners started getting married or if they were married, started um, processing green card applications. So it's, it's ironic. My, my spousal green card business has just boomed and so have a lot of my colleagues now that's you know for lawyers but a lot of my neighbors business neighbors here the gas stations the mailbox places it's not like their business has slowed down they have no business right one of the local gas stations i think he said he's pumping 80 gallons a day that's two car two cars filling up that's nothing Mm -hmm. so a lot of these businesses i think you're going to see businesses that have survived the last three or four months uh, by getting payroll protection loans and other government subsidies, that's running out now. And so I think you are going to see quite a few businesses in this area go to business. I think poor Robert's going to be the worst because nobody's been traveling over there. At least yeah. we have you know people coming from Whatcom County into Blaine, going to the restaurants. You know, I try to gas up locally here now, um, not down in Bellingham. So you are going to see some businesses go to business, but it's going to be interesting to see when the border finally reopens. Number one, how many Canadians want to travel down here? Because a lot of people, I think, are still going to be concerned even when the border reopens. And number two, when they come down here, what's still going to be open? 
Well, one of the uh, interesting stories that just came out later in the day today is out of Hawaii. And uh, starting September 1st, they were going to do this October, uh, August 1st, but they've, they've bumped it a little bit. Starting September 1st, all Trans-Pacific travelers, including Canadians, will be allowed to visit Hawaii without having to quarantine in Hawaii because there is a quarantine to go to Hawaii um, as opposed to other like the uh, terrestrial states. So you can go as long as you have proof of a negative COVID-19 test within 72 hours of you arriving. So, well, um, And I think... I think that's very positive. I think that the Canadian government should keep track of that because, you know, you look at it right now and they have very low cases in Hawaii. So number one, Canadians can travel there and not worry about getting infected. Like if they go down to Los Angeles to Disneyland or, or somewhere. But number two, if that model works, the Canadian government may look at doing a similar program for people going into Canada from the U.S. or other countries having a negative test to assure the Canadian government that they don't have to quarantine for 14 or for 14 days. And that may help a lot of the tourism industry uh, recuperate from, you know, this whole pandemic. Yeah. As long as you have the test, right. That would be the thing. And I think the, um, the blood test wouldn't work because uh, nobody really knows the exact science around all that stuff too. But it is an interesting perspective to look at it that way, that if you could show up with a test and have to be a certified a thing as well, clearly, because there would be, it'd be very easy to find some sort of fake test online, uh, which by the way, make a note, uh, watch for fake testing online. Um, you know, so it would be interesting to look at all those pieces. I mean, there's a texture here that uh, comes in from Don. He's a long haul trucker. He texted in uh, Lenin. He says, keep it close. He says, I'm a long haul trucker. I cross the border into Detroit all the time. And I see the mess that the America is in. So, you know, that that's, that's similar to the perspective of seeing the difference between the news. I mean, how do you, how do you fight that? And then you go on the other side of it, Len, and you, it hasn't been, I think, as bad as it's been made out to be, but there are way too many people that have faked the Alaska loophole and gone for vacation in BC. Well, I, I, I agree. I have had a, peop- a few people call me about you know, driving up there and what they have to show to the Canadian officers in order to try to do that kind of drive through. And I've just told them, look, I'm Canadian, but I'm not a Canadian attorney. I'm a U.S. attorney. So I'll tell them, you know, to call CBSA or a Canadian lawyer. So I have received a few calls. I don't think the numbers are exactly what uh, a lot of people thought. But still, like, you want to keep track of people. If they're driving from, you know, the U.S. border, where I am, in Blaine, up to Alaska, you don't want them to arrive three weeks later. You want them to arrive after a two or three day direct uh, trip. And I, I can understand where the Canadian government is being very careful on who they let into the country and who they let through. But, you know, as this whole pandemic evolves and it seems to have no end in sight, you know, things are going to change, whether it's, you know, doing testing for people entering Canada or looking for other kind of areas to try to keep the pandemic out of Canada. Yeah, it's remarkable. Uh, do you think it's going to be a long time? I mean, it's a it's a guess as much as, uh, you know, as writing a, a bet in an envelope. But are, we're I think we're looking at a long haul here, Len. What do you think? Yeah, I, I don't see the border reopening until the end of the year. It's already been four months. Uh, the numbers down here are increasing. They're not getting any better. I can't see the Canadian government honestly taking any steps towards opening up the border. I think it's political suicide if they open up the borders and there's huge infections, right? The main reason is for tourists. Well, the tourist season is half over for the summertime. 
So the only other industries that are going to get affected, or at least tourism industries, is Whistler, possibly in, in, at the winter time. But that's not going to be until December or January. So, you know, I think the Canadian government is smart by being cautious and by just tracking the numbers and making sure that the infections remain low in Canada. I, I agree yeah. with them. Yeah, Whistler, Banff, all those places are going to be affected, that's for sure. Well, thanks for spending the time and sharing the insight. I do appreciate it. It's really actually nice, Len, to hear uh, the other side of that, um, you know, what it's like to be on the other side. I look forward to catching up on that again as this changes. So I invite you to be around. Thank you. Thanks, Shane. Have a great night. Thanks, Shane. Uh, that's Colonel Len Saunders <laughs> joining us uh, on the phone. This is the Shift Daily Podcast. All right, confession time. So. Of all the names that I've used, of course, radio names, does that qualify as a radio name, as a nickname? I mean, they were really given to me. I think so. So the first radio name I had was Carter, Carter James, which is ironic because that's my son's name. That's a pretty sweet handle. Yeah, it was only because I was going to go with Shane. And then they said, well, what do you want to use for a last name? I said, well, I like Hewitt. They're like, we don't. And they said, okay, we'll open the phone book. So I opened the phone book. And then I put my finger down and I said, how about Shane Rivet? And they said, uh, you know, this is a French community, right? That's Rivet. And I was like, hmm, okay, that's not going to work. Um, and then we, um, and then uh, somehow Carter James came up. And then uh, completely unknown down the road became my son's name, um, unrelated. So then... Then there was the Zach name, and then there was the Z-Man name. But there was one nickname from, and my mom calls me Shano. Um, there's one nickname from a long, long ago when I was DJing nightclubs when I was like 18 going to college. And when I was standing with my back to uh, a low sun and my shadow was cast long, and my buddy looks at me and goes, oh, my God, you look like an elf. The silhouette. My ears aren't actually pointy, but the silhouette of my ears uh, apparently I'm told, look pointy. And so I became Keebler at that point. Keebs, Keebler, <laughs> Keebler the Elf. And that was the DJ name for a long time. There was a lot of people that called me that for a long, still some people every now and then on Facebook, you'll see the odd comment. <sighs> Why did I share that? That was dumb. Yeah, because it's going to bring all that back, Keebs. <laughs> Z-Man, hey the Z-Man <laughs> I didn't choose any of those You know, I walked in and there was uh, Lisa Player uh, Who used to be on the radio in Calgary and then Montreal She was walking out and she was like, hey Z-Man And I was like, what are you talking about? And then I went and I, back then we didn't have email So we, I went to my bunk to get my messages And there was a memo that said Shane Hewitt will now be known as Z-Man So it's the way it goes, man. Someone's got to give you the nickname. Another texter says, everyone called me Keeger instead of Craig. I worked at a bar. That's a good name. I like that one. 877-399-9898. Um, yeah, your, 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 um, your nicknames. Feel free to share them. I'm sort of waiting for Matt's got to have something there. But uh, another texter says, my late brother was in his early teens. He was pretty gangly. When he ran, his legs seemed to fly in several directions before they hit the ground after each step. <laughs> That's a good picture. Someone uh, nicknamed him Legsy when he was 13, and it stuck until he moved away uh, from Fort St. John a few years later. So, all right, Legsy. That's a tribute to Legsy. There we go. Let's bring on Greg Fish. Now, Greg. There's got to be a nickname. Of course, there's got to be a nickname. Everyone has a nickname, and Will you share mine it? is. Oh, that's the question. And and mine's of course fish. Fish for that makes obvious sense, reasons. 
you have a cool last name. It's just like you have the kind of last name that it just, it's like if your last name is Jones, you become Jonesy, right? Like you just yeah, got to have a good name for that. That's exactly what it is. All right, Fish. How you doing, buddy? Nice to hear your voice. I'm doing fine. How about yourself? Oh, you know, just hanging on, you know, just doing a thing. We had a uh, couple of big storms come through our neighborhood uh, through the day today. So it was a really hot day. And then the cold air after the storms has kind of stuck around. So it feels chilly. It's kind of refreshing. But aside from that, just, a, you know, another summer day here in Canada, hanging out. How is everything going on in um, in um, your world of weird things? Because this article you have here, I have a lot of questions there, Fish. Well, that's why I'm here, isn't it? That's true. Um, give me the, um, this is about technology. It's about uh, governments using technology for good things and bad things. It's AI recognizing people and all of that stuff, government control. Help me understand, help the audience understand the premise of your article. Well, basically, when people like me work on AI projects, we try to use it for good. We try to use AI to fill in gaps where it's a little bit too difficult to program a computer to understand everything, especially problems that are fairly fuzzy or require a lot of very complicated decision-making. And we have different statistical formulas run until they understand a problem space and can make complicated decisions fairly quickly. Uh, the problem is sometimes when governments take over a similar process, they will say, you know what, what if we use it to try and predict who's going to commit a crime? or who might criticize us, or identify people who we might want to, con the, who we think are spies, or people who we think might be criminals. And mistakes are often made in this particular case, uh, but it, specifically in China, uh, that seems to have not slowed down the government at all. And in fact, the government of China is investing very heavily in AI, but with the express purpose to create systems of control and predictive policing. And not only are they interested in creating those and making them the main focus of their AI investment, they're interested in exporting these tools to other authoritarian states. So in this article, and then we'll just dig into, into it, because you did say China, and I'm going to be honest with you here, Greg, that as I read the article, it actually sounds quite political. And that's not a comment on you. That's a comment of all the other articles around you. And so what I wanted to clarify for the audience was that when we talk about this stuff, I mean, uh, Greg works in and around this stuff all the time. So um, I think that Greg will invite you to sort of share the how do you see it? How do you see what's happening? Some maybe some specifics of what you see what's happening that leads you to this assertion that China is doing that because there are all kinds of people out there that make political assertions all the time. And as I read it, I read it as this is sort of a what's happening, a what so of the AI world. But I think that some people could really hear it the wrong way because of so many other things that go on in the world. So I thought it was just a good opportunity for you and I to be as specific as we can and uh, and get into this and share, okay, well, why why is it? Why does Greg see it this way? Absolutely. I mean, how how low level do you want to go? Do you want to talk about what the AI tools actually are and how they're supposed to work and how they're being trained? Well, I think so. I think that, yeah, maybe maybe one or two, but just specific things so people can understand that it's just not a broad scope of China's bad and here's my opinion because, you know, China this. So, yeah, maybe one or two examples. Uh, but otherwise, you know, we still need to talk about it so I can understand it because I don't I you need to translate it for me. So. Well, we'll start with we'll start with an American example uh, where you have a number of companies um, that have created tools that they that they say can 
uh, do predictive policing, which ha what happens is they analyze uh, a whole bunch of data about um, criminals or people who have been arrested for different crimes. And then they try to use these models to try and predict um, the chances of recidivism, or they try to predict the chances that they would be uh, that they would be a difficult prisoner, or how to set their bail, and so on and so forth. Essentially, kind of like an electronic uh, judge and jury, except not, they they can't quite legally say, okay, we're going to put this person in prison, and we're going to give this person probation, and we're going to let this person go with a fine. A judge still determines that, but the system essentially suggests it. And the problem with these systems is that they've shown that they're not particularly effective and they have a lot of biases that people have built into them. So, for example, if you have a system that discriminates a lot against minorities and you feed that data to an AI, the AI doesn't know that the data you're giving it is somehow biased. So it's going to make predictions based on that data, and a lot of those predictions have been found wrong. So specifically, one of the systems is called Compass, and it uh, made incorrect predictions up to 77% of the time when it tried to predict whether minority RSTs will go on to reoffend or not. Yeah, okay, so that's interesting. That's really interesting. Um, reoffending is a big one. For me, in research, I always look at it from the question, perspective of sometimes the answer is only as good as the question. Is that what you mean that this applies here, that there's still a human dishing the data in in the first place, and so the technology is only going to be as good or as flawed as the data it gets? Absolutely. It's garbage in, garbage out. Uh, we use the term artificial intelligence a lot, but in reality what artificial intelligence is, is it's a set of statistical formulas that have um, that are essentially trying to guesstimate their way to making accurate judgments and classifications based on a whole bunch of data. But a human still has to go through and check that the data it gets is, is of good quality. The data that comes back from the system actually does make sense in the real world. And if something needs to be retrained or redesigned, that's properly that's being properly done. Okay. When it comes so then to Go ahead. Sorry. I thought you were done. Um, well, I was going to say that when it comes to the examples that I'm talking about with with, um, with China, um, what they've done is they've created similar predictive policing systems, um, and they've turned them on their Uyghur populations that are being put in these, um, as they call them, uh, re-education camps. Um, and those systems essentially give them that patina of plausibility to say, well, this person applied for a passport, or they grew a beard, or they bought some new gym equipment, or they're driving on an unusual route from all of our collection systems. Therefore, this person may, may be at high risk of, ter of terrorism. And we have to put them very quickly in a re-education camp, lest something bad happens. Yeah. And the difference really being... Uh, you know, there's definitely countries that want to do this. So this is not this is not just necessarily a Chinese problem. This is China essentially kind of leading the way in this. But you do have private companies uh, in the United States, um, in Canada, uh, that essentially say, "Well, we can give you these tools to do predictive policing, to try and figure out how people will vote. Do you want to use them? And we don't care how you use them. We'll pitch them to you." And we'll close our eyes. And meanwhile, in authoritarian states, um, the approach is 
you will design these systems for us because this is the outcome that we want. So, of course, because the systems are trained for that outcome, this is what happens. Okay, so that's remarkable um, from a couple of perspectives. Now, I was going to say, why China? Then why, why in your article, uh, China specifically, are they the biggest offender? Are they the most obvious offender? What specifically are you seeing that makes you name China in the article? Uh, they're the biggest and the most obvious offender because they make absolutely no qualms about it. Um, I'm sure that there is very similar efforts happening in other countries. And I do call out several companies in the United States that are essentially trying to do the same thing. They're just trying to be more discreet about it, uh, whereas China essentially says, well, we can do whatever we want because it's our country and it's our will to do that, and we decided that that's good for us. Um, so that's why, so that's why they're, they're particularly being called out. And my focus isn't so much to say, okay, well, China is, is, is really bad at human rights because I don't think that that's necessarily like a, a new revelation. My aim is to point out that this, that if you take a look at this roadmap that they're putting out and someone follows that roadmap, it's not going to end well because you're essentially using this very complicated technology in very abusive ways that are going to cause a lot of trouble for a lot of people, and it's just going to be a mess. All right, so it's worldofweirdthings.com. In the article, Greg, you also get into the good that could come of it. So um, this, all this negative you know, story of technology and everything else, it's not all for bad. You use some good examples of that. Um, what, what are some opportunities in all of this? Well, artificial intelligence can do a lot of things that help us with very heavy lifting. So you can, like, for example, uh, the biggest things that for which I've worked with AI applications is to make sure that people's communications networks stay up. Um, there are also examples of spaceships using spaceships in the future, and you know they're currently being developed to use artificial intelligence to speed up exploration of other planets to make space travel safer. Um, to make uh, a lot of robots smarter and more efficient and be able to do more things, um, to accurately understand very complex systems uh, of how we use and consume energy and optimize our energy use. So there's a lot of really good things that AI can be used for and should be used for. And when we're investing in all of these AI mechanisms, we need to make sure that we're keeping our priorities straight, that we're investing more in the good things and calling out the bad things, where we're calling out that we're, we're creating tools to basically advance somebody's petty goals of control and not towards making the world a better place because we can absolutely do that. Uh, it's a remarkable perspective and I like it. And I think, uh, Greg, I wanted to acknowledge how clear I think you described that. Um, you know, as soon as we start talking about politics these days, I think we always have to make sure we take an extra effort to make sure that we are super clear. I think you've done that tonight. I think your article does that too. And I do recommend it's worldofweirdthings.com. Uh, check it out. China is creating the blueprint for totalitarian techno idiocracy. It's a remarkable story. Thanks so much, Greg. Always a pleasure. That's Greg Fish. Oh, I forgot. Thanks so much, Fish. There we go. You're welcome. Glug, glug. <laughs> See you, buddy. <laughs> All right. Have a good one. This is the Shift Daily Podcast. We've got uh, Sir Christopher here as well, Chris Gilbert, plus we've got Matt MacArthur, and um, and I'm Shane Hewitt. So we need a nickname for Matt. Well, sleeves. Well, I've got um, uh, one one nickname that didn't stick at all, but I always thought was really funny. 
a uh, uh, dude I knew in high school once called me Mad Dog MacArthur. Oh, Mad Dog. It didn't but you're nice though. You're more like a snuggle puppy. Well, it didn't. Yeah, it doesn't suit me at all. Like it still doesn't. But I always I just like the sound of Mad Dog MacArthur. That's a good. Uh, that cool, is a though. good name though, right? That is a good it's name. Ironic. You do sound badass. Yeah. Because I would imagine Mad Dog MacArthur cuts his sleeves off his shirts. Yeah, he has like no shirts that have sleeves. That's the kind yeah. of dude he is. The only sleeves he has are ink. <laughs> <laughs> um, we had uh, we, earlier we had gotten a, a text uh, from Kat and Gimli about uh, her ex, her ex husband used to call her wombat. Yeah, she said my ex husband used to call me wombat. No idea why. No idea why. So uh, Mark Cowan, who's uh, one of our regular listeners, uh, he's an Australian, uh, and he he tends to really listen intently like he'll he'll pick up on anything hence this text yeah so he uh, he dm'd me on twitter he says a wombat is a large furry animal that lives underground <laughs> and eats roots and leaves in the australian language someone who doesn't have a lot of stake in a relationship is known as somebody who just eats roots and leaves check with chris on the connotation of rooting in australia Ooh. lol mm-hmm. um i don't have to check with chris on the connotation of rooting yeah. You guys know already. Um, it's no. it's a t- it's sort of a term for uh, how do I for for making love. Oh really? Yeah. It's a Dr. very Google says have sexual intercourse with. It's a um, it's a crass the, term for for the, making love in Australia. The 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 official the official pickup line of uh, New Zealand and Australasia is to approach someone you're interested in and just say, "Hey, love fancy a root." <laughs> right to the point. Yeah, wow, that's good. Love, come on, let's, let's let's get to it. So that would be similar to the uh, North American uh, "want to smash." Oh, oh, want to smash? Interesting. Yeah, that's. Oh, uh, I haven't heard that. That's what the kids say these days. Say that again. Say the rooting thing again, Chris. Okay, encore. Hey, love fancy a root. Oh, that's good. <laughs> makes my English can't say not. Again. Right then. that's pretty good i like that one uh i don't know if that's a compliment though so we're gonna have to reevaluate that that whole thing uh another texter says uh, don says uh, my nickname is duck because of donald that's very good actually i think that one's good you know i did get a um i did get a a text from mark as well a, a dm from mark mine was unrelated thanks mark for reaching out to everybody equally on the show we all feel loved um, it said, living in Canada, my first nickname um, at Maverick Coach Lines was, they called me Sheep Herder, kind of apt for a tour bus driver. Later on, I was nicknamed Oz, which is fine. In Australia, they call me the Canuck. Uh, if they ever call me a Canuck, I give them a throw punch. So I had to look up Canuck just to be sure. And I, the Urban Dictionary is where Canuck comes up. It's a Canadian, known as North American's less trigger-happy half, it says. <laughs> a Canuck is one who drinks real beer. Uh, rules at hockey, invented both basketball and baseball, and insists on wearing a Canadian flag while traveling abroad so that someone doesn't mistake them for an American, a Canuck. How is that spelled? C-A-N-O-O-K. Okay, so there is a, like, in my part of the world, people aren't actually sure how to pronounce Canuck, uh, and there might be debate about whether it's pronounced Canuck or Canuck. Uh, so you might often have people trying to say Canuck and saying Canuck by mistake. Hmm. There are other definitions. Um, for example, there's another definition of Canuck that says um, a Canadian and all that it implies, usually a raging liberal and a coward. <laughs> wow. So that's one. I know that's harsh, isn't it? Um, another definition of Canuck, slang for Canadian, generally derogatory, often deserved. 
uh, Canadians. Uh, not that we don't have our own fools, but the whole country run by Canadians. It's a Canuck. Another one is a potent, sticky-ass marijuana bud that originates in Canada. I've never heard that. Yeah. So it's a sticky-ass one, though. Um, <laughs> clearly, sticky, the Urban buds. Dictionary yeah, is, not, uh, is very well written, I would say. Very good. Um, although these definitions have been around for a very long time, um, that's for sure. Hmm. All right. Interesting. Can you say the rooting thing one more time? I am not a jukebox, but okay. This is the last time. Let me toss you a loony. You'll do it. I'm just going to, yeah, mm, you, you keep you. All right. Um, <laughs> this, uh, I, it's actually like not the nicest thing to say. Like, like Maddie's quite right. Like it's kind of crass. It's not, it's, uh, yeah, it's crass. It's very gauche, but, um, yeah, but just, it sounds just, nice here. <laughs> I, and I don't encourage anybody to go to Australasia, um, Australia or New Zealand and say this if they don't want to be kicked squarely between the legs. Um, but it's fancier root. And there you go. That's, That's the last one. That's not happening again. Hey, baby, fancier root. <sighs> yeah. You can't do it, Maddie. Sorry. I, I, wish, I wish you could. But. Hi, I'm from Canada, eh? Fancier root. I'm a Canuck. Fancier root. <laughs> Fancy a root on a smash. Hey there. Ha. If you know what I'm talking about, you'll fancy a root. (laughs) 877-399-9898. Matt's nicknames. Uh, Metalhead Matt. I I just think metal would be all right. What's up, metal? Matt Metal MacArthur. Mm -hmm. Um, Matt is the shredder. Matt the shredder MacArthur. I like that. What's up, shreds? Shreds would be all right. I think you got to shorten it. Matt Shreds MacArthur. Yeah, what's up, Shreds? I like that. Maybe that can work. I work that one, right? Yeah, we're workshopping it. Picker. Call you a picker. Oh, right. Earlier, Kager. It wasn't Keeger. Let me find that. Oh, was it? Let me find that text. That makes sense now. Oh, it was the text about Keeger. Oh, Kager. Yeah, we got a phone call about it, too. Um... <laughs> Set it right. He's, the texter says, Set it right. It's Kager. Even but I- it came up as Keeger. Right, that was that was on. Everyone John. called me Keeger instead of Craig. I worked at a bar. I thought that made sense. Keger. Keger. Yeah. See, here's the thing about the word Keger. It has two G's in it, and when you only put one G in it, and you put a capital in front of it, it becomes Keeger. Unless, yeah, unless you soften it and go Keger. Oh, Keger. <laughs> hey, Keger. <laughs> All right, Keger. Keger is way more manly, uh, right? Oh, yeah. All right. So manly. Said it right. <laughs> That's so good. I love that. All right. Uh, should we do some Are You Okay's? We said we'd talk about the cruises thing. Let's do that. Let's get into Are You Okay. Let's do this. Let's do it. All right. Are you okay with cruise ships operating? Uh, normally, yeah. But right now, no. Chris? Yeah, I, mm, uh, I mean, like, you, uh, like my opinions on this, I just, I don't want to offend anybody. Oh, don't worry you about know. it. Like, uh, I, I don't think they should exist. I mean, I don't think they should exist, but I think they should exist to put all the people who would normally go on cruise ships. I'm happy that they're on the cruise ship and not walking around on the land, if that's what they do for fun. 
that's my that's how much I hate cruise ships. See, but I don't think so, that offends anybody. I think the cruise ship people go, I love cruises. I'll do that. And the people who don't like, like cruises good, go, damn right, good. Chris. Stay right? there. Good. Stay on the cruise ship. Go over there. It's on a the different kind ship. of person, go, isn't it? Go out. Go out into the ocean. And as far from land as possible and enjoy your six months effectively taxiing in an airplane is what you're doing on the ocean, just sitting there slowly moving. It's a floating hotel. That's all it is. You're going to a giant hotel, except you're in the middle of nowhere. And you, when you want to leave the hotel, you just, you leave to a different place every day. And, and to be more specific to the topic at hand, like, yeah, what Maddie said, um, if, if it was a bad idea in March, it's way more of a bad idea in August or July. All right. Well, it turns out that, um, yeah, in fact, cruises are operating. I was actually quite shocked by this, first of all, is that um, cruises are operating. Um, if you've forgotten what COVID-19 on cruise ships look like, here's a story from Global's Jackson Prosco. Over the years, Canadians Bob and Dorothy Grubb have taken more than a dozen cruises. Their last trip sailed right into a global health crisis. In March, they were on board the Grand Princess, trapped off the coast of California, as a mysterious virus spread through the passengers and crew. They first noticed something wasn't right when their favorite waiter wasn't at dinner. One evening, he just wasn't there and I asked what happened. Oh, he's off sick. Okay. So the next day he is back. And I said, oh, Xavier, good to see you back. I said, but you look tired. He said, I'm okay. The next day, Xavier isn't there. He's off sick again. Soon, the U.S. Coast Guard was airlifting COVID-19 test kits to the boat. The grubs were confined to their cabin, waiting for a plan to get off the ship and get home to British Columbia without getting sick. Off to our cabins, meals placed at our door with a knock on the door. And that was the end of any contact with people. Those were the first days of the pandemic, before every cruise ship stopped sailing, before air travel dropped a staggering 95%, before the Las Vegas Strip sat empty. It's safe to say travelers and the travel industry have never seen anything like this. Hmm. <sighs> okay, so a coronavirus hits a Tahiti cruise ship, leaving 340 passengers confined to their cabins. This article posted today. I had no idea that if you really wanted to, you could just go jump on a cruise ship somewhere and wonder where in the world are you going to uh, get coronavirus from today. So uh, that happened. <laughs> the Corona Cruise. It's the Corona Cruise. That's what it is. Yeah. It's remarkable the, to think, isn't it? Yeah, it's the, it's the, uh, it's the, sh the cruise of death. <sighs> then there was the other ship. There's a whole other ship that had another scenario. Now they've had to dock the ship because there's too many people that have caught COVID on this ship. And they're kind of going, oh, yeah, well, maybe. Uh, the hurt, hurt, a, hurt a Gruten Cruise Liner, MS Rolled Amundsen, seen moored in Tromso, Norway on Monday, due to an outbreak of novel coronavirus on board. Like, this one's not, this isn't huge, this one. This isn't like one of those massive floating hotels, but this is, is bigger than a ferry. Like, it's big. I hope everyone's okay. Yeah, but you went on a cruise. I mean, I realize you're being, you're a nice guy, Sir Christopher. Always the nice I'm, guy. I'm trying but, to be at the moment. But I don't, but you, you chose to go on a cruise. 
at what point does it not kick in and go, yeah, this could not go well? I don't know. I feel like there are probably better decisions that you can make at the moment. Like um, the first one would not be going on a cruise. Um, Staying I mean, on land. <laughs> yes, that's, that's a good one. Um, if you want to not be on land, there are other options. You could dip your feet in the water, go for a little swim, maybe float on an inflatable duck or something. These are all viable options. I feel like it, this pushing yourself out as far as you can away from a hospital right now, if, especially if you're you know, not the youngest, it's not really the best idea. But, you know, floating about, floating about on, a, on a swan in, in a lake, you know, that's, that's much better, I think. It's a good suggestion. I think it's great. Yeah. Or one of those, positive, uh, one of those unicorn guy. floaties. Those ones are awfully awesome, too. So here's those. the thing. I don't understand how you can bring people together, uh, probably from different places like this, without quarantining it for two weeks, like everything else. In Hawaii, I mean, for example, you want to go to Hawaii, you can go to Hawaii today. And it's, um, but you got to quarantine for two weeks unless you have a COVID test. So you get a COVID test, you quarantine before you get on one of these boats for two weeks or 10 days or whatever the rule would be at the time. And then you go on your cruise. Great. Everyone on the ship, in theory, you're going to be pretty good. Everyone's had a test. Everyone gets regular tests. Plus, you're on the ship. You've been quarantined before you got on the ship. If you're willing to make that sacrifice, I salute you. Go ahead and do it. But this is not going to make this better. Uh, Texter says, call me crazy. My wife and I booked a cruise through Celebrity in 2022. Couldn't resist the price. Also optimistic that we will have control of the pandemic. Resist the price. See, I don't know. I've never been either, so I'm not a good judge because i've never been on a cruise ship maybe they're just amazing you know maybe i'm missing something somebody at cknw maddie i think is gonna go on a cruise who is it because i was making fun of cruises before and i think it was on this show and they were like i'm going on a cruise and i was like oh but it was a cool cruise they're going down to antarctica it might be i can't remember who it was but yeah someone on the station was going down and like i'm going on a cruise and i'm like that's terrible and they're like no i'm going to antarctica and i'm like that to me is probably the only justifiable cruise if you're going down and see some emperor penguins yeah but if you're going to antarctica isn't that wouldn't you rather be closer to a hospital i mean antarctica i don't know if you know is you know there's no signs floating in the ocean with the h on it pointing you to the nearest hospital <laughs> there might be just in Even case in? you need to hit the ER. Well, I've never been there either. You're right. I shouldn't judge. <laughs> uh, next text, texter says, sink them all. So there you go. Word. Respect. <laughs> next text says, cruise ships were petri dishes for diseases before COVID-19. Now they're even worse. Gross. So. Stay on land, people. Just stay on <sighs> land until it's safe again. And may- maybe if you're optimistic about cruising in 2022... 20- Make sure that you can get a refund on it. Here, here's an idea. If you could get me a big old cruise like that, and I had enough room, and just like uh, the Barbados is doing, if you could get all quarantined out, you're healthy, everybody's healthy getting on that ship, you were going to go live on that ship for six months or something, food, everything else was good, everyone was clean, and you got to get the hell away from all this stuff, that would be amazing. And you know one of the biggest selling points could be? It could be like, we're the cruise ship that doesn't subscribe to political TV channels. And people would sign up for that cruise. Six months of no politics. Wow. Do you guys reckon you could do it? Because I was on the ferry 
two weeks ago between Horseshoe Bay in British Columbia and Nanaimo on Vancouver Island. And it's my first time going to the island, and I haven't been on a ferry for a while. And it's only 90 minutes. It's a 90-minute ride. And I was on that ferry, and I was just standing on the deck, you know, looking at the water. And I just thought to myself, imagine doing this for weeks, like just being on a boat. Yeah. Except I, I could do it. There's like pools and hot tubs and massage therapists and unlimited food. You don't stand in that queue like you do on the BC ferries. You know, when the boat shutters to pull away, the whole thing shakes and turns. Like, it's it's a little nicer than than that. But you've got all that on the land. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the podcast. Tune into the show online or on the radio.